Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Healing Place. On today's episode, um, I'm going to be speaking with a friend of mine who I met on Clubhouse. His name is Patrick. Um, As we're winding down uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, I think it's important that we continue the momentum that we're gaining here, talking about mental health and mental issues and what that looks like. And so um, this is my life's purpose. So I will just continue to keep talking about it for as long as possible and until everybody recognizes that if they have a mental health issue, that they can go and talk to somebody and not feel judged. So um, I met Patrick in uh, the mental health room for men, uh, just like I met Garth in that same room. And and so um, Patrick reached out to me and he wanted to come on and share his story. And of course, I was delighted uh, that my new friend from the UK wanted to come onto my platform and talk about his story. So um, without further ado, I will introduce you to my friend Patrick. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Good afternoon. Good, good evening. Right. It's it's afternoon here in London. It's just about quarter past one. Good morning to you in just outside of Chicago. Yes. Thank you so much, my friend, for reaching out to me and wanting to come onto my platform. I was so excited. So I'm glad we were able to connect and get things going. So yeah. what I'm gonna me do too. So what I'll do is I'll just ask you a couple of quick questions and for the most mm-hmm. part, I'm going to let you drive because I think it's important to give um, victims the safe space to be able to talk freely and openly without being bombarded with questions and whatnot. So um, do, feel, us- do feel free to interrupt me, though, because I, I could talk for days and we haven't got days. <laughs> but we haven't had we. Well, who's to say we don't have days? I mean, tomorrow is a, is a bank holiday for us. So go figure. Oh, us, us too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is here as well. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump right in. Well, so firstly is I'm not from the UK. I'm a Kiwi. I was born in New Zealand in the mid-70s and um, I I grew up in a very right-wing Catholic family and growing up as this skinny little white gay boy in small town New Zealand. Well, let's just say that wasn't so easy. (laughs) So what would you say were were the the challenges you faced being uh, gay in... Uh, New Zealand. Oh, I think the same as everywhere. But then add on Catholicism and then you have, you know, extra kind of portions of guilt and shame and fear. Yeah. Well, first off, I'm sorry that you had to experience that because you shouldn't feel like you have to conform to someone else's way of doing things. I think it's Mm. important that we give people the space to have their own individuality because that's what makes us so beautifully unique. So I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Yeah, Look, but it's not for you to apologize. I understand why you're saying that, but it's just, it's so frustrating. It's like, I don't know. I think, you know, this probably feeds into why I am, you know, precisely who I am today. You know, I'm 46 years old. I, I'm now got to a place where I am, Oh, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yep. Okay. So I am unfuckable with, and I don't care who it is that's saying what they're saying. I don't care where we are. 
we are all equals and I will damn well demand it and expect that from everybody. And I am also a voice. I've always been that tiny percentage that speak up on behalf of other vulnerable groups who may be uh, facing inequality or injustice or being victimised. I've always been that person from a very, very young age. And probably it was probably a part of the path that I needed to travel. But um, you know what? If we were all just more compassionate and embracing not tolerant, not just accepting, but welcoming and embracing, I think it would be a whole lot better world. I agree with you because it's one thing to be tolerated and it's one thing to be accepted. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't want to be tolerated by anyone. I want to be accepted. And if you can't accept Mm -hmm. me, you know what? Get out of my fucking way and let me move, make moves, okay? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm with you. I, I quite like that how I am as a man is... Um, I'd say I'm fairly confrontational as a person because I'm quite bold in who I am. I'm not aggressive, but I'm just fully me wherever I go. And for a lot of people, they can't cope with it because I'm going to say what I'm thinking. I'm going to say what everyone else is thinking. And I don't take shit. So I like that about people because it also acts as a really good filter for getting rid of nonsense. Absolutely. And, you know, me, I've always been an advocate for the LGBTQ community. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just mm-hmm. I, I remember one of my um, my first roommates, I had a gay roommate and I used to call him my gay best friend, my gay boyfriend. And mm-hmm. Fernando and I, we did every fucking thing together. I mean, we right. used to party together. We travel together. He was amazing. And I told him, I said, for as long as I live, I will always be an advocate for you and for anyone mm-hmm. else out there that's looking for a strong voice to, to stand up for what's right. And yeah. you know, I, I think it's so important that we, when we're thinking about like mental health that we reach back and and talk to our our friends and family that are in the LGBTQ community because think about it they have to silence their voices just as much if not more than your voice and mm-hmm. any other person's voice because of their alternative lifestyle and that's not right yeah and you know what I, I I'm really excited about this conversation i I know it probably won't happen in my lifetime, but eventually we'll get to a, a point where we won't need to say my best gay friend. we can just say my best friend. We won't need to say my gay husband we'll just say my husband um, because we don't go around saying, "Oh, this is my straight friend, oh, this is my straight husband it it it's so. I'm hoping that it just becomes redundant as people's minds progress with time, as things do, um, because who cares? I was, I was with a young mate of mine last night who's a young black guy who's 24 um, and he's still in the process of coming out to different people. And I said, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. It's your life. Exactly. What you do, what you do with your genitals and your relationships is no one's business but yours. And, you know, I'm 46 and I've seen a bit more life than he has. And I think to myself, oh, God, you know what, if I had my life, my time over, would I still come out? And the reason I'd say yes is simply for this. I'd do it for the younger kids. I'd do it for the younger kids so that they can see visions of hope and strength that I know that I didn't have when I was their age. I absolutely need, love that. You, you need it. We all need it. And that's one of the reasons why, like in Clubhouse, I'm open about my story 
about my traumas, about my recovery, about the the abuse I suffered and all that stuff. Because you and I, Fee, we never, ever know who's listening and we never know which part of our story they need to hear. Absolutely, because it's like half the battle is just being able to speak about your trauma. And when you're dealing with multiple traumas, you know, it, it compacts the the ability to be able to speak. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I, it, the same thing, I listened to a few people and their tra- about their traumas and just hearing something within their story, you know, was able for me, for me, it allowed me to say, you know what, I, because they spoke up, I can do the same thing and mm-hmm. I can use my voice for a greater good to turn a negative into a positive. And that's, that's the crusade yeah. in which I'm on right now is is taking my voice and using it. And now that I'm starting to gain a little momentum and people are listening, I'm like, you know what, mm-hmm. let's really let's unpack this shit because nobody should be walking around mentally traumatized and, mm-hmm. and not able to find the help and the resources needed or and more importantly, the support of family and friends. So I think it's so mm-hmm. crucial. Yeah, look, it, it really is. And we know from all the research that isolation is the number one killer when it comes to mental health. You know, and when we look at the suicide stats of 75% of them being male, 25% female, add in to the fact that we know that the LGBTQ plus community commits suicide at four to five times the rate of non. That means somewhere between 65 and 70% of all suicides come from a community that I'm a part of. Wow. I'm sitting I'm sitting here looking at my beautiful back garden and there used to be a tree in my garden right at the back. And nine years ago, when I was 38, I was uh, in a very, very unwell space because of all sorts of things that we'll probably get to. And it had coincided with 38 years of depression and anxiety, the abuse that I had been suppressing and repressing for 23 years finally broke and I accepted that it was abuse. I was signed off work because I was so unwell because of it. I was having PTSD flashbacks and nightmares because of the abuse from 23 years earlier. And I looked at this tree in my back garden and this voice goes, and having your head, I'd been 14 years sober at this point. I look at this tree in my back garden and this voice goes, you know, there's a full bottle of vodka under the stairs. And this other voice goes, and that tree will take your weight. Wow. Now, fortunately, fortunately, the third voice said, I think you're really tired. I think you need to go to sleep. And I did. And then a week later, I paid someone to come and cut down the tree. Wow. First of all, congratulations on being 14 years sober. And more importantly, recognizing when that voice in your head, because we all have it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we just don't pay attention to it or sometimes it is too fucking loud to ignore that. I'm Mm -hmm. glad that you didn't listen to that voice. Um, Well, that, yeah, well, that was, that was, that was eight or nine years ago. I can't remember exactly, but I've just, I've just celebrated last month, celebrated 22 years in recovery. Now, the reason I I talk about that so publicly is a lot of people who've had uh, traumatic childhoods, abuse, alcoholic homes, all of that stuff and the LGBT community, a lot of people with that concoction of different things, whether it's just a single thing or multiple, um, have mental health concerns because what it does is it changes the wiring in the brain. The wiring in the brain then has very, very deep neurological pathways that are built on trauma. They stay with you for life, but you can heal it because you can rewire the brain. Now, I didn't even know 
when I was 38, I didn't even know that I'd had anxiety and depression almost all of my life. And the day after I was having this thought of this tree will take my way, I called the closest person in my life whose name is also Patrick. And I said, uh, I told him what was going on. He said, I'm going to come and see you. And I was home alone. I'd been, uh, my partner was away somewhere. And um, he said, we need to get you to, to your GP. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. I was like, why? He goes, your eyes are dead. Now, I've got really bright blue eyes, but when I'm really unwell, they turn grey and there's no light in them. And you know me well enough to know that my energy is almost always really high, positive. Well, at this point in my life, without a doubt, that was the hardest period of my life. My anxiety was so crippling, I physically couldn't leave my house because I was so full of fear and terror that this pedophile that abused me when I was 15 and 16 had come to London to try and find me. I felt that, like, oh. Something that um, most people don't know, but I've been kind of topping, I've been tapping into it, is that um, I'm an empath and an energy reader. And I mm -hmm. felt that, like, mm -hmm. down in the pit of my heart, I felt that. So I'm, I just, I'm giving you, like, the biggest virtual hug you can <laughs> imagine right now, because I, I felt that, and I, I felt mm, just you. how painful that was for you. So well, this, you know, what's really interesting, the biggest markers of pain in my life have almost always been based around sexuality related things, obviously the abuse stuff. But the first time I thought of suicide fee, I was nine. I was crazy. nine years old. I was sitting in the middle of a huge field. You know, schools in New Zealand have lots and lots of grassy fields around them. And the bell had gone to go into class. I was nine years old. I was being bullied by the three bullies in my class, the teacher who is also the teacher of my class. And I was crying, like sobbing just inconsolably. The bell had gone. And I just thought, I'm just going to kill myself. I can't do another day of this. And it was because I was gay. I didn't even know what that was. I was nine. I was a kid. Yet I was here so isolated and alone. I'm wanting to kill myself as a nine-year-old. I don't think there is anything more tragic on the planet than a kid contemplating suicide. I mean, anybody but a kid who doesn't feel safe or supported. I mean, it's just it's insane off the scale. But that's how my kind of my life started. And then throw on top of that the Catholicism and the, you know, you're not allowed to share your feelings. You couldn't possibly be gay. You can't find men attractive. Well, I tried to have girlfriends. Clearly, that didn't work out. <laughs> nope, but that's okay though because I yeah I think it's like I said it at the beginning of the program is that I think it's so important that we allow kids to have their own individuality because that determines who they are as adults and you don't want them to grow up and say you know I did this for you mom and dad I didn't mm. do this for me I I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And, and that you have to be okay with that. Um, it's, mm -hmm. I was in a room the other day cause we were talking about, um, we were in uh, Rolanda Watts and her, her reinvention retreat. And we were right. talking about overcoming trauma and depression. And there was a physician that was a couple of physicians actually, um, that were in the panel and they were talking about how staggering, uh, suicide is amongst young kids and they said that they've seen cases as young as seven and I right. was like are you kidding me 
what could a mm-hmm. seven-year-old possibly be depressed about? And and they started talking about it, like, you know, the pressures of, of their peers, the pressures from their parents, the pressures from school, you know, trying to fit in. And, you know, I actually kind of had a little quick little experience with the not so much experience, but my son, he was uh, my, my son, who's 10. He was mm-hmm. just going through a little bit of depression because of COVID, you know, because it impacted him. And that he lost a lot of his friends. And, of course, being isolated, having to be at home and doing homeschooling a whole bit. Um, And he plays video games with his friends. And so I I saw, like, a little conversation that he was having with one of his friends in one of the instant message chats. Because I check all his stuff to make sure he's talking Mm -hmm. to kids and he's not talking to some pedophile. And so um, he was talking to one of his friends about how he just didn't want to live anymore. And I'm like, wait, time out. I'm like, what the heck could my, my child be mm. dealing with that would cause him to say something like that? And so yeah. I, I, you know, I, I talked to him gently and was like, what's going on, bubs? And he's like, mom, he's like, I'm just so tired. I'm like, tired of what? You're, you're nine. I mean, you're 10. And he's like, you know, I'm just tired of all the, the bad things that happen in the world. And, and people are dying for no reason. And, I lost all my mm. friends because of COVID and now I have to so I have to go to school from home. And, and I was like, Oh my gosh, baby. I'm like, I know. And my son, he's just like me. He's an empath. He feels the mm-hmm. pain of the world. And I'm like, mm-hmm. buddy, I'm like, you can't take on the, the troubles of the world because you're just a kid. You you're only responsible for going to school and playing and just being a kid. I don't want you to take on that burden, that's a big burden. And you're too young to to take that burden on. And so I immediately contacted a therapist, a child therapist that um, works with him. And so um, he has counseling sessions regularly where, you know, the Mm. therapist is helping him tap into his feelings because he's a very emotional little boy. Um, Mm. He's very much, you know, he wants everybody to do the right thing. He wants everyone to be nice and kind and Mm. respectful. And so anytime anyone meets him, they're like, oh my God, your son, he's so sweet and so kind. And I'm like, well, that's because my ex and I, we've worked very hard to raise him that way. And so, Mm. and then also he gets to see how my husband and I, how we are as a blended family. And so we surround him with love and kindness and support. And, and so I, I was like, nope, I'm going to nip this in the bud right away because me having dealt with mental health issues, I'm like, there is no time like the present and to get him and start, get him started with the therapist right away so that he can learn to um, take his empathy and, and put it in a way that his brain understands it. And so that he's not taking on the the troubles of everybody. So I can only Mm -hmm. imagine how Mm -hmm. you felt at nine and the fact that it's like here, you knew you were different but you didn't know what that meant. And then to have kids mm. bullying and kids nowadays are vicious. They're horrible. I had Kids to, always have been. They always have been because I mean, yeah. I, I was bullied as a kid because yeah. I didn't grow up in a household with two parents and we didn't have anything. We were poor. And so yeah. I got constantly made fun of. And mm-hmm. I, my bully, she used to pick on me all the time until I beat the shit out of her. And then she, she left me alone. And I didn't even want to get to the point where I had to physically protect myself, but she wouldn't leave me alone. And she kept antagonizing me and I just had enough. It was bad enough. I had mm-hmm. all the trauma and crap I had to deal with at home and then I had to go mm-hmm. to school and deal with this nonsense. 
So I, yeah. I beat the hell out of her and her and everybody else was like, do not mess with her. She will scratch your fucking eyes out. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, at least they won't mess with me anymore. But I can't imagine mm-hmm. how you felt as a kid. And I was I was absolutely paralyzed with fear. And the thing that, you know, the thing that you said around your boy, what's your boy's name? His name is Max. Bob's. Oh, okay. Uh, you called him Bob's, Babs. Oh, yeah, um, I call him Boobs, Peanut. I, you he's got, him yeah. <laughs> well, when you were talking to Max and that thing about, no, bud, you're just a kid. You can't take on the problems of the world. See, it makes no difference whether you're a kid or an adult. The human brain will do that regardless of your age. Yeah. Um, the, the fear and anxiety that it induces can be absolutely crippling because no one can take on the problems of the world. All you can do is look after your side of things, you know, just for now. But when you're a kid, kids we know internalize everything. You know, when parents separate, kids make that about them. When someone's angry in the house, kids get fearful so they walking on eggshells so they make it about them and I mean it was like that for me and you know you talk to any of my siblings in particular one sister who I'm very close to her experience of our family life was totally different to mine it's like she's describing two different parents because she's not gay and and that's uh, that's terrible that there is that difference I mean yes we know that when you're raising kids kids are treated differently because I mean in my household, my sister was because of everything that my sister had experienced. She was more the one that got a lot of attention where I got a little bit, but not that much. Um, and so, mm. yeah, we, we know that, yeah, oftentimes kids are, are treated differently based on, you know, the favoritisms and whatnot. But it's unfortunate mm. that for you, that your upbringing was completely different of your sisters because of your lifestyle or the way that you were, you felt inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I don't even call it a lifestyle because what was my other option? It's like, it's kind of like a black person being born black and then being told to be white. Yeah. I was like, what am I supposed to do? What are you, what am I supposed to stay with this girlfriend and get married or and have kids and do this thing. It's like you're asking me to fly to the moon and I don't even know where the start button is. And the short answer and, is you just do it. Right. And so fortunately, you know, and, and I, I'll talk a bit about the abuse stuff. So that happened when I was 15 and 16. The reason it occurred is I couldn't turn to my mum and dad to talk about the sexuality things. So I turned to the next who I perceived safest person, who is the school's guidance counsellor, who happened to be a Marist brother as part of some sort of religious fucked up group, and he abused me. And I knew he was abusing other kids, but I needed someone, and so I turned to this guy. Anyway, that went on for a couple of years, and, of course, my drinking and drug-taking and sexual behaviours from when I was 15 and 16 on became dangerous immediately because that was my only resource available to me that I could afford and rely on. And so that's how I carried on. My father was an alcoholic, so that genetic thing was already in, in me, and it was just dangerous. Fortunately, when I was 22, I broke up with that girlfriend and I came out. My parents rejected me. I had to leave. Fortunately, I have always had this incredible inner resolve and strength of knowing what is right. I've always known my true north. And I don't care whether you're with me or not, I'm going north. And so I left the family home and I said to my parents, I said, I hope you understand that I need to leave you 
so that we have the chance of being close again. I said, I'm going there. Let me know if you want me in your life. I was 22. My parents were in their late 40s, early 50s. Now, your, your job, your job fee and any parent listening, anyone who works with kids, is to love that child unconditionally, no matter what, and especially when they piss you off. Absolutely. If you can't, if you can't do that, get help and learn how to do it. And if you still can't do it, you should not be a parent. And I'll say that to your face. And if you find that offensive, I really don't care. Because the number of kids suffering because of parental shit being dumped on kids is outrageous. Kids must grow up feeling 100% physically safe, emotionally and psychologically safe. Because if they don't, it absolutely fucks up the brain permanently if they don't get that and don't get help and support to process it and to a point where it no longer holds emotional pain. I was 38 when I finally was in a place where, and at that point when I was 38, as I said earlier, I was 14 years sober, I had had a huge amount of support and love and all that stuff through being in recovery. But I was 38 years old when I was finally strong enough and well enough to be able to talk about the historical abuse, right? There are millions of people that never speak up, which is why I do. And when I spoke up and went to the police eventually to report it, I'll never forget that. It was the 2nd of December 2012 when I made the phone call to the New Zealand police from London and I reported it. When I reported that historic abuse, I did not do it for any reason other than to give voice to the little boy who had none and for the other victims because I knew of three others at that point. Eventually in 2015 he was convicted um, and those newspaper articles are on my website if you want to read it because I'm public about it and vocal about it because that is the only thing that will put an end to it. Silence around abuse is negligence and perpetuates the problem. Now, I understand not everyone feels strong enough or brave enough or has the support to be able to do that. I'm not saying do that if you haven't got that, but I'm saying I felt a massive responsibility to me, the little boy that was, and the other victims. So when he was eventually convicted in 2015, I couldn't believe it because I did not go in for it for that at all, but that's what came from it. Jump forward to 2018, and another guy comes forward and hits the media because his evidence couldn't be heard in court because of some sort of limitations. And I thought, no, screw this. I knew this guy. He was three years older than me at the same school. So I got, you know, New Zealand's small. I got in touch with him. We had a phone call less than 24 hours after his thing hit the newspapers. And I decided to break my anonymity and hit the newspaper alongside him because the more people talking about the same thing, the better. Like similar to Black Lives Matters, the, the whole thing about everyone collectively speaking up against atrocities and inequalities and injustices, that really, really matters. But not just when it's the big issue, it matters every day. I think it's great that we have these big events, but that's not the change point. The change point is what will you do today 
to make that difference. Absolutely. And, it's, it all starts at home and it starts with grassroots. And, and yeah, it's great to have these big, huge promotions and things that are grand. But like you said, you know, what happens when, when the dust settles and the confetti is no longer flying in the air? You still have right. to keep pressing forward. Absolutely. It's all of us and all of us have a responsibility to make this world a safer and better place. And so I, when we, we hit the media, this guy, Steve Goodless and myself, we hit the papers. It went right across the whole country, every newspaper. And um, what happened from that is we set up a Facebook group for the particular years that this pedophile was working at our school. And within two weeks, fee, 12 other guys had come forward. Wow. That's now, crazy. I now believe that I needed to be one of the victims because nobody else was going to speak up and go to the police. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean... I mean, we'll never know, but that makes sense to me now. And yeah. I know we make sense to stop, you know, with hindsight, but I've always had a character where it's like, no, fuck you. No, no, what you've done is wrong. That's not okay. And interestingly, because I'm so vocal about all these different things that I've been through in my life, people keep coming to me because they know they are safe with me because they know that I have the strength to hold space for them no matter what their story is. It is such a privilege and an honor to be able to do that in my coaching work. That's why we're here, Patrick, because it's the same thing. People feel safe mm -hmm. and comfortable with me to be able to come and talk to me about their innermost feelings. And, yeah. you know, my, my husband, he jokingly will say to me, yeah, you know, oftentimes I'll be on the phone for hours with one of my friends and he's like, you're on the phone for hours. I'm like, you know, sometimes people just need to be heard. And, you know, for me, one of my, my strongest traits is just being able to listen. And that's mm -hmm. half the battle is just being able to listen, not necessarily, you know, yeah, it's great to contribute, but most of the time mm -hmm. people just want to be validated. And so I'm that validator. I'll sit there on the phone and with my friends for hours and every now and then you'll hear, yeah, uh-huh. Yep. Girl. Yes. Oh my God. Mm. And then I just let them speak because people just want mm. to be heard. They just want to know that someone can hold them with the love and safety that they never had. Absolutely. You know, most, most of my clients cry in the first session because the pressure of the suppression and repression has built this absolute ticking time bomb. And then all of a sudden, some they were sitting with me, and I don't have any expectation or demand. And the release valve comes, and then it pours out. Now, imagine what it would be like if all of us could offer the safety and the unconditional love that we all so desperately crave, need, and want. That connection of, I'm here with you. I want and need nothing from you. What would you like to talk about? Yeah. I mean, just think about if, if everybody felt that way, we probably wouldn't have the problems that we have in this world. Think about no. it. Because no. everybody wants to be heard. And people that usually um, that are crying out the most are the ones that are inflicting the most pain. Because, again, mm -hmm. hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I, I had this. I, I also coach children, which I love. It's I used to teach kids. I was a primary school teacher and elementary school teacher for 20 years. I stopped that a couple of years ago. 
but um, I coach kids and I had this 10-year-old start with me uh, a few weeks ago. And in the first session, he said he wanted to work on his confidence. That very same day, I had a first session with another guy who's in his 30s. and He said he wanted to work on his confidence. Now, who would you rather be? I'd rather be the kid. Right. Now, the point is, imagine if all our kids had access to resources freely that would empower them and, and enable them to build their strongest sense of self, their healthiest sense of self, so that when they're in their 30s, they aren't saying, I want to work on my confidence. They're like, actually, can you help me think around how I'm going to develop this business? Exactly. <laughs> or something, something grander than the basics that, I hate the word should, that could have been there when they were younger. And I think, yeah, I mean, I certainly I will work with anyone that wants to do the hard yards, but I do say to people, if you're after a shallow coach, you best not work with me. All right, now <laughs> you tell them. You're not, you're not <laughs> going to get shallow here. But don't get me wrong, as you know, Fee, I can be deeply shallow when it comes to my humour and making fun of things and well, having a laugh. But Of course. When we're working... When we're working, it is really beautiful, beautiful work, and I love it. It's, it's such a, a privilege and honour, which is why I'm so excited about the app, the Mendable app that I'm a, I'm a part of the team developing. Oh, my God, that, that's amazing. That is going to change the world when it comes to mental health. It is going to change the world when it comes to men in particular, building safe communities uh, online where men can talk to men and be fully seen and heard. It's going to be a game changer. And that we've got the tech for the patent that can pull biometric data through your mobile phone is unbelievable. Game changer. I, I for one, am super excited about it. And, you know, I'll yeah. do absolutely everything I can in my power to promote it and make sure that men know that there's, a, yeah. there's resources out there where they can go yeah. and get the support. And that was uh, that was the reason why when I fell into the men and mental health room, I mm. brought Dutch in and I brought uh, President Vinny because I thought it was mm -hmm. important that they themselves have a very good, strong support system of men that they could go and talk to and, mm -hmm. and don't have the stigmas attached to you know, whatever they've gone through in their life. So yeah, yeah, very crucial. absolutely. And I, I was I was talking to Dutch recently and Sophia, and one of the things that's even more important is when we're thinking about mental health, the marginalised communities within the, uh, I guess, the label of uh, needing to address and deal with mental health stuff, the more intersectionality you have, the harder it is to maintain your mental health because you've got lots more stacked up on you. And so... In that men's mental health room, we have people from all walks of life all over the world who have such significant weights and pressures put on them. Um, you know, and, and, you know, from the stuff I've shared with you already, I was a suicide statistic that should have happened. And somehow I'm still here and I now know why. It's for conversations like this with you. It's to be with the, the Mendable crew and our men's and mental health room um, on the uh, Monday and Thursday nights. It's to be part of this team developing the app. And one of the reasons they wanted me in the team developing the app is because of my backstory. 
and my experience as a coach and helping people live really well today. You I and mean, I are a part of the same club. Um, I'm also a three-time suicide survivor too. And the reason right. this is the that the reason why I'm still here is because of this podcast and being able to give people that free space and that safe space to be able to voice who they are and what they've gone through. Because mm-hmm. I shouldn't I shouldn't be here. But mm-hmm. there was more work for me to do and, and yeah. you know, now I'm realizing this is it. This is my purpose. So yeah. you know, yeah. it's unfortunate that we both are a part of that that club, but I'm still glad that both of us are here because now we can get to do the work that we were called to do. My mother, my mum died in um, April 2020. I was, I helped care for her for her last six and a half months. I went back to New Zealand to say goodbye. And then the day I arrived, it was really clear I had to stay to help her live well as she died and help my father care for her. She had motor neurone disease. And she said to me about five years ago, she said to me, Patrick, you are your brain is way too big for schools and I kind of sort of knew what she meant but after she died um I've had to resign from my job to care for her and um after she died it's like oh no my 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 teaching in schools is finished that's gone and it was just so clear to me that I was only supposed to be working as a coach working with you know individuals or companies to improve whatever they wanted to do and what's happened since I made that decision, or I do say mum mum made it for me really, um, is all these incredible opportunities are coming to me. All I'm really doing is say, staying in the same place, repeating what my purpose and passion is. And I'm meeting people like yourself and Sophia and Dutch and then the Mendable app team. And all of a sudden I've got this whole thing happening that is totally in alignment with the business I set up four years ago where I wanted to dramatically reduce the suicide stats. Now, this app that we're creating, Mendable, will literally save lives. But for me, and I'm saying to the team, that's not good enough. I mean, that is good. That's a great thing. But we then need to improve them because to save a life is one thing, but you can live very, very miserably. And I call that survival. We need to do better and we need to help people thrive. And how we do that is we give them the love the unconditional love, the safety that they need, and then we help create opportunities. So the work that we're doing is going to be a global, sustainable thing that will save lives and change lives for the better. And this business and the Mendable crew, the app development, that on its own is going to create a huge amount of employment. You know, And obviously there's going to be a massive charity part to the legacy that we're building. And I'm just so excited because all of a sudden it feels like oh yeah another reason why my whole backstory makes sense you know yeah and can i just say that just hearing you talk about what the mendable app is going to turn into i mean i loved you the moment i heard you speak i'm like i know i'm patrick and i are gonna get on really well but i love you (laughs) even more now because i'm like you're a part of that same journey that i'm walking on and and making sure that we start we try to we need to break that cycle and, and break the stigma that's attached to mental health. Well, do you know what I was thinking about the stigma thing? I think the stigma is perpetuated by the individuals who have mental health concerns. Yeah. And this is my thinking. I'm very vocally, openly gay because I choose to be for the kids who are younger than me who don't have the strength that I do. Okay. 
I talk about my anxiety, I talk about depression, I talk about the suicide, suicidal ideation and all that stuff. I do it deliberately. Now, I don't feel any stigma whatsoever around anything to do with my mental health because I have decided to not have it. And the reason I don't have it is because I keep talking about it. See, I think that stigma is based on fear and shame. Now, fear and shame cannot exist in the light. So as soon as you shine the light on it and you talk about it and you share a bit of your story with someone, there is no fear or shame because you've stepped into your vulnerable strength. And when you do that, it triggers empathy in you and your listeners, wherever they are, whatever platform, whether it's one-to-one or on Clubhouse or whatever. And as soon as empathy is triggered, there is no stigma. I agree because I, I talk about it all the time. Uh, and Do you feel stigma still? Nope, not at all. I am comfortable yeah. in myself and, and my experiences. Mm. And just like, you know, I tell people, yes, I have PTSD, I have anxiety, I have minor depression, but they don't have a hold on me. Mm. And I've worked through my PTSD, my anxiety, and my depression. And I know when I need to fall back and go into recovery mode or, or like or mm-hmm. what I like to call recalibrate myself so that I continue to stay on that path. So yeah. just because I was clinically diagnosed with these, with these issues, they don't have a hold on me and I'm going to keep talking about them because the more and more I mm-hmm. talk about them, the stronger I become. And like you Absolutely. said, I'm talking for those that don't have voices. I'm talking for those that are no longer mm-hmm. here because my mother and mm-hmm. my sister, they're not here anymore. Mm-hmm. And they didn't get a chance to say, this is what I'm dealing with. So I'm speaking from right. the voiceless. So I'm going to continue to keep speaking. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. you're going to keep doing the same thing. And we need to continue that momentum to the point where every <laughs> single person is like, oh, yeah, I've got depression. But, you know, it, and, and just keep going on with the conversation as if right. nothing was ever said, because that's how yeah. it should be. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is, you know, we're kind of stepping into the, the, the period of time with mental health, you know, variables different aspects of it where we now have much more information we now understand the science around it we now know what's going on um but interestingly lots of people um don't because they're not they're not in that sphere so the more you and i speak or anyone speaks and i'm not saying to any listener you need to speak up i'm not saying that you only ever do what's right for you because if you're in a vulnerable space or you're not ready that could be really dangerous so you always listen to your gut however people who are maybe uh, feeling stronger in themselves i think we have a responsibility for to those who aren't because that gives hope it empowers others which is why i don't have any secrets i'm happy to talk about any aspect of my life because i'm now i'm now fear and shame free so that's for me the most hopeful place I can live from because I can just be all of me wherever I go, you know, and, and how you're hearing me now, Fee, this is exactly how I talk to anybody in any sphere. I don't need to have different versions of me because the thing that's making my business successful is everyone gets all of me all the time. I don't have to edit or filter. That is the worst thing anyone could ever do to live in a healthy, successful way. I think it's important that you're, you're absolutely right, that we always maintain our, our self of uh, our authenticity. Um, and I, I don't like fake things. I don't like fake people. I don't like fake attitudes. I don't like fake anything. And so mm-hmm. um, I think it's crucial 
that you maintain a, a level, a high degree of authenticity as you're speaking, because I mean, that's what, that's what the voiceless need. They don't need mm-hmm. the, the, the fakery or they don't need the, the filtered pictures on Instagram and all this other bullshit that people they look to for inspiration or guidance. It, the level of authenticity and realness. And even if that means that it's, it's deep and painful, that's what they need to see. That's what they need deep, to feel. Yeah. Now, deep and painful is the solution for living a really rich quality life. Absolutely. Because if, if you think you're going to go <laughs> shallow and always happy, well, then you're denying quite possibly a lot of yourself. The thing with the thing with emotional and psychological pain is we've been conditioned to think of it as bad and negative. The reality is the feelings that are painful, they're not bad or negative. They're giving us messages to do something with them. And, you know, I've, the number of people that I work with who say, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it because it hurts. I'm like, we'll just leave it then and see what happens in 30 years. I found, I found that for me through pain and suffering came rebirth because I'm a brand new person. It's like, I felt like a, um, a, a caterpillar turning into this beautiful butterfly that I never imagined being because I never thought I'd be where I am right now. I'd never even thought I'd have a Mm. voice because it was taken Mm. away from me. And I was conditioned Mm. to having it consistently taken taken away from me. And so I felt like, okay, well, I got no voice. I guess I can't say anything. Well, screw that. Well, yeah, listen. And and I think the thing that I, I feel that resonance with you because both you and I are really interested in giving space to those who need to find their voice and just holding it. There's no demand, there's no pressure, but if you would like to explore that or you would like to share that safely, totally here for it. Absolutely. And just being able to vocalize that to someone that has gone through something, that's what they need to hear. And even if they're not ready at that very moment, when they are, guess who they're going to reach out to? Because you've you've given them that safe space to say, I'm here for you. I see you. I support you. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because some of the words on our Mendable um, app and website are, uh, we hear you, we see you, we feel you. Imagine that. and Because just- that's the connection that everyone so desperately needs and wants. That's what people are hardwired for. But when we're unwell, we tend to isolate and that in turn obviously makes us more unwell. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you're here. I am. This is just your average shallow conversation. Oh, my God. You're so full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) There is no shallowness about this conversation, honey. And that's what I love about it. Um, So, yeah, let's let's get into the deep stuff. Tell tell my listeners about your experiences, uh, because I know that there's so many people just yeah. waiting to hear from someone that they can connect to. That's like, because they went through it, I'm still going to continue to persevere because I got you know, this. Absolutely. You know what? I mean, I, I think I've touched on the, the big major things, but the number, someone said to me recently, what would you, you know, that classic question, what would you say to a child version of yourself? And immediately when someone asked me that question, I was 
adult me talking to this nine-year-old who's sobbing in the field of grass before school starts wanting to kill himself. And I get down to my own level and 46-year-old Patrick looks at little nine-year-old Patrick who's, you know, really red in the face from, you know, being so full of grief and pain and sadness from the bullying. And all I say to this little version of me is keep going. Now, those are the two words that our beautiful friend Jayon in our um, men's mental health room on Clubhouse, he says that all the time. Now, Jayon's story is a remarkable one. Yes, it he is. Shot the, he, uh, he was shot in the head and he's still saying keep going, be positive, right? I love Jayon. I love even just being him man? in the room. He gives me so much love and I just, yeah. we need more people right? like him. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, the list of, the list of things that I've been through is long and a lot of the, the, the most painful things were extreme, traumatic. But I guess the reason I'm so passionate about sharing them and telling people honestly is because, hold up, hold up. If I've got through all that, you're going to get through this and I'm going to walk beside you. I'm going to be with you as you walk because I was so isolated and alone for almost all of the stuff that I went through. You know, I had one safe person I could turn to when I was 22 when I came out, right? He's he's now 82. He's my closest friend. He lives in New Zealand. His name's Ralph. He is the only person who could love me totally safely and unconditionally when I came out when I couldn't turn to my parents. Now, we all have a responsibility to each other, regardless of who we are or where we are. We all have the responsibility to walk alongside. And I heard this most beautiful thing somewhere recently. Um, and this, this person said, in short, we are all just walk, walking each other home. I love that. I absolutely love that. And when I heard that feed, it just landed so peacefully with me that that's what I have been doing with me. You know, I, I was walking myself well, but now I am surrounded by the most remarkable people, some of whom I don't know very well, like yourself, but I can feel you walking with me. Of course. And we're holding hands. And that, right. And we might be skipping for bits because, you know, yes. I like to do weird things. And if we, <laughs> and if we see a, a if we see a puddle of water, we're going to splash in it on the way. Probably, right? But that's the thing that we're here for, being totally present and available so that the people who we're walking alongside, whether we know them very well or not, feel that safety and that unconditional love and connection that really helps us all live so much more gracefully and beautifully. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And anyone that I cross paths with, whether it be in person, in clubhouse, on Facebook, on Instagram, it doesn't matter. I feel that no. same way. And I go, look, if you need me, I'm here. And I know that they probably mm. hear that and it probably seems, um, you know, full of hot air, but I'm like, seriously, if you need mm. me, if you need to talk, if you need to just mm. have a chat about anything, mm. you can pick up the phone, call me, DM me, whatever. I am here for you. Yeah. Because and that's real. It is. And you have to show up. You have to show mm -hmm. up because oftentimes 
you never know whose life you could be saving simply by showing up. And that's exactly what happened in one of the clubhouse rooms I was in. We had this guy phone in as he was driving and he was suicidal and he was dangerous behind the wheel of his car. And I just ignored everybody else in the room and I spoke directly to him like it was a one-to-one phone call. And I helped support him get off the motorway or highway or freeway or whatever you call it there and pull over and I helped him regulate his breathing because he was also having a panic attack and got him to a point where he was calm and he could take a healthy next right step, which was to continue driving to work and speak to his boss immediately. Now, you and I, all of us, have the ability to do that. Yes, it was stressful for me too. Nowhere near as awful as it was for this young guy that wanted to kill himself on the motorway. And just knowing that your voice or any part of your story could be the difference between someone living and dying, that's a really important thing to remember because that's also going on on the street. It's going on when you're driving along. There's someone next to you that wants to die. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's why, you know, I've said it, Dutch has said it, I'm pretty sure I've heard you say it, and countless other people have said it, you know, something simple as just smiling or saying hello to someone could be the difference mm-hmm. between life and death, because you never know what they're dealing with, and, and it, all it could take is just the slightest thing to push them mm-hmm. over the edge, and just by showing them the simplest act of kindness could change the trajectory in which they're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there we go. I think that's a natural place to kind of conclude, V, is how are you today? Oh, I'm great. I mean, I woke up, I felt wonderful. Um, I got up, my head was clear. Um, I was excited about being able to speak to you because I feel like the more that I continue to, to voice my opinions about what my experiences have been and listening to the mm. experiences of others, it empowers me even more. It gives me so much more strength I mean, I was a, I was Wonder Woman before I started all of this. Well, now mm. I'm Wonder Fucking Woman because you just <laughs> now I've got this belt on that nobody can take from me, and mm. I've got this level of strength that no one can ever take from me. Mm. And by being strong, it helps me, but more importantly, it helps others. So, how are you, yeah. my friend? How are you this morning or this afternoon? Yeah, I'm I'm really well. I do feel quite tired. I've been really busy. Yeah. And my closest kind of support network, my, my mate Patrick, he said to me yesterday, I can hear in your voice that you need to slow down. So today has been a much, much slower day. And um, I'm just going to, after I've spoken to you, I'm going to get out to my beautiful little garden and give it some loving because I haven't really been out there much doing that. And it's the kind of big growing season. It's been raining a lot the last few weeks and kind of hit a warm patch. So the garden's just exploding with the spring summer growth. Yeah, so my heart's my heart's light. My mind and body is a bit weary because I've been a bit too busy. So I'm just slowing it up, slowing it up, but also just allowing myself to feel the stuff that's going on because there's an awful lot still going on with my family situation and uh, my father's currently dying as well. And so that's another, you know, it's been a hell of a couple of years with mum and dad's health. And the thing is, though, I accept it all. I know it's all happening 
exactly as it's supposed to be. I also know I'm completely powerless over it. I'm totally available to any of my siblings that would like to talk. I can't speak to my father anymore because the cancer's taken his vocal cords, but we text and um, it also feels peaceful because dad and I also spent a beautiful six and a half months looking after mum together. And then I was with dad for a total of eight months before I came back to London. And, um, you know, for a relationship that was pretty toxic and unhealthy for most of it, we repaired and did the work um, that was required to bring it back to health. Um, and largely it was because I kept saying, Dad, I don't have people speak to me like that in my life any longer. So you might want to change how you're doing things or you won't have me in your life. And it wasn't in a threatening way. It was just very clear that, no, I'm a special guy. I am 46. I will demand respect from you. And if I don't get it, I'll respect you quietly at a distance. Absolutely. And, you know, see what you've done. You know, here you, you've taken, you know, your, your mom and dad who were essentially resistant to the idea of, of knowing that their son was gay. And, mm. you know, here they are at the, the what's left of their life as they transition into the next life, or the mm -hmm. afterlife, as they say. And they realize, you know, it, it's important that they themselves change so that mm. it gives them not only closure and peace, but it gives you closure and uh, peace. You know, Fee, that's, I'm so pleased you said that because, you know, the poetic beauty of our relationship changes such that when I needed my mum and dad most when I was 22, they couldn't be there for me. When my mum and dad needed me most, I stopped, dropped and left London and stayed in New Zealand until mum died. That I was able to do that for me is the ultimate indicator of my healing and health and wealth uh, uh, that I hold internally. To be able to give and love so fully and freely that the, the stuff of the past, it, it's totally gone. You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't get triggered at times. It doesn't mean that my father still can't piss me off, even though he can't talk. Of course he can. But I now know it was never about me. Yeah. You know, it's unfortunately, it's, you know, a lot of it is generational. It's what they've been taught. It's how they are hardwired. But the, the beauty yeah. of it is just being able to see a little bit of that change and all it is, all it takes is just a little bit and that gives you all the the desire to keep pressing forward not only for yourself but for others out there and mm -hmm. i'm lucky that you got to share that with me because unfortunately for me i didn't get to have you know the experiences of my mom and dad seeing me evolve and and turn mm -hmm. into this beautiful butterfly that i've become <laughs> but they're mm -hmm. they're always here in my heart so I know they're never that mm. far away, but it's still, mm. it's painful. But I, I'm like, you know what? Every breath I take, every move I make, I'm doing it for my mom and my dad, because I mm. want them to see that despite everything that I went through as a kid, it didn't dictate how I turned into as an adult. I mean, yeah, well, I, may, I may have had my struggles, but everybody sure. has struggles. If life was, if life was, um, was that easy shit, everybody would have everything they desire in life. Mm -hmm. but you know, I learned I, to roll with the punches I, I'm obviously not your mum and dad but I can tell you now I see the butterfly I can feel those wings and the beauty and the power that you hold that's your gift to give 
Are you trying to make me cry? Did it work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, I was not expecting you to say that. Um, and I'm but trying not to get the, too choked up. But yeah. uh, look, don't worry. Don't worry. But you the, did the it. The reality is we're all, we are all deeply connected. We just don't necessarily know because we've been so disconnected for so many reasons for so long. But you and I are connected. You know, I'm sitting here talking to you as a 46-and-a-half-year-old male born in New Zealand, living in London, who's been through what he's been through. And the resonance and energy that's present in our conversation today is just a reminder of the connectedness of us all. There'll be people who listen to this who will feel that. Yeah. And they are too connected to you and me. Yeah. Not necessarily, not necessarily we'll ever meet or chat or even text, but we're all connected. And what, what, what I'm discovering more and more is it's just about listening and feeling and seeing the connections that already exist. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, who knew that when I sat down to prepare for this podcast that I was going to gain a family member? Oh, please, no. That's so offensive. <laughs> I know. We already had this conversation, but you know what I mean. I've gained, I know I've gained, what you mean. I've gained yeah. another great friend and um i cannot wait to my husband and i we come to the uk because i'm gonna call you and be like uh patrick you need to find us we need to see you i need to like physically meet you give you a big ass hug because i'd love that i just want to do that for you and you know yeah you hit me and you hit me right in the heart there kiddo and I'm going to be 46, well, you know, this year. Are you? Yeah. Are you? August When's 11th. Birthday? August 11th. Listen. I'm the worst kind I, of Leo. I cry about every fucking thing. So I'm the worst Leo out there. I'm what like, do you mean? Why is, crying, why is crying a bad thing? It's not a bad thing, but I'm the one that's always emotional. I cry about everything, but but my emotions are just big because I'm a Leo maybe, because of everything I went through. Maybe that's what you're supposed to do. It See, is. This is. I know I know we're coming up to the end of time, but there's this whole culture around stop crying, don't cry, why are you crying? I'll give you something to cry about. See, your tears are a beautiful expression of all of you. The worst thing I hear when I work with clients or anyone who's crying is like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, what are you fucking sorry for? You're not doing anything wrong. Cry, bitch. I love that. <laughs> because one of the things that fucks us up is we don't cry. Yeah, you're right. When, when, when I was in New Zealand, the day after I arrived there, I was heartbroken with what I saw. My father says to me, don't cry, son. It's okay. And I pulled back from him as he's hugging me. I said, it's not okay. I don't cry. This is not okay. Look yeah. at mom. The next day, I went and saw my dear friend Ralph, who's 82. Before I even got to hug him, I was walking up his pathway. He's waiting for me. I see him and I just start sobbing. He says two words to me, Fee. He says, keep crying. Who in your life has ever said that to you? Nobody. I mean, and especially where I came from because um, Mm -hmm. my my family, anytime you you ever had an emotion, most of which was oftentimes it was crying, they're like, be quiet. Don't Mm -hmm. say anything. You know, mm-hmm. and so I got so conditioned to mm. keeping and bottling up my emotions that, yeah, I find myself apologizing a lot for crying. So thank you for pointing that out to me. That's something you that need, I have to work need, on. N- you need never, ever do that again. 
And when your little ones are crying, just say to them, how are you really feeling? What's really going on? Because when we can tap into those core feelings of sadness, fear, hurt, rejection, frustration, maybe a bit of anger, when we can express that, name it and feel it, that's the healing. Yeah. For as long as we for as long as we don't feel it, we can't heal it. Absolutely. Mm. You just made you just made my you just over you made my love tank overrun with love. And that's the point. Because I now love me so fully, what you're getting is my overflow. Isn't that amazing how how we give to others and it, it gives us more love. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's my mantra every day um, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm talking to someone or when I'm listening to someone and you know, they're appreciative for whatever it is that I said or I did it, that just makes my, it just makes my love tank overflow. Cause I'm like, by me giving you something, you've given me something back and the mm-hmm. cycle continues. And so I keep doing that and you keep doing that. And I just, I love that. And I love you because of the fact that you, you know, you, you, you just gave me something that I didn't even realize that I was, I was deficient in. And I the appreciate beauty, that. Yeah. The, the beauty and peace of health that I now have is I now know that I don't necessarily need or want anything from anybody because I now know what it was I didn't have. So I give that to me. I, of course, still have needs and wants from loved ones. You know, I want to be connected. I want to be significant. Um, But I can now give so freely because I've given so fully to me. Mm, That is beautiful. And that's, that's how you reach that point of healing that you can give so much of yourself and give, get it back that it just, you just keep giving and giving because you already know that you're going to get so much more mm-hmm. back. And mm-hmm. and we have to continue to keep doing that until everybody feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz all the all the world needs more is of is love. I believe this. I feel this and what I've experienced, you know, I do need to get going in a couple minutes feedback. I'll finish on this when I um when I was with mom the last thing mum said to me directly, she couldn't talk, but she pointed. She was actually in her last hours of life. All of a sudden her, you know, end of life dying came on very quickly. Um, and just before the ambulance took her to hospital, she looks up at me with the death face on and beautiful little soul. She points it to my face and then draws a halo around her own head, telling me that I'm her angel. Oh my God. The reason... The reason she did that is because what I got with her and gave to her and we worked on together in those last few months of her life is we worked on and with pure love. Mum couldn't give much anymore because she was so physically, you know, debilitated by the disease. So I just gave fully. And what I learned was that love doesn't need anything in return. Love gives. And, you know, as you're sitting here, um, you're describing your mom's last moments. I was there. Yeah. I can see it. 
And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful. And you really are an angel. You're an angel, not only to me, but you're an angel to so many people out there that's just looking to find someone that gets it. Well, to put the real twist on it, also have in your head that my mother also called me a whore. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I said to her, I said to her, oh, she couldn't talk. This was this was gestures and, and writing on a whiteboard. I said to her, do you know what, Mum? I said, you're right. I am a whore. And finally, I am so pleased that you love and accept me for all of who I really am. Thank you. <laughs> right? <laughs> so my takeaway, if we bring all this together to finish this beautiful episode, is my mother thinks I'm an angelic whore. Imagine that. Imagine that. Patrick, I just, your energy is so infectious and it's so refreshing. And I know that my listeners, when they hear this episode, they are going to fall in love with you just like I fell in love with you. That's really kind. Um, Because you really, you really are an angel and you really are the the pillar of strength that every single person needs to have in their life because you've gone through it you've survived well, the thing it is, right and this is the beauty of technology and things it's like i am in their life i have been all along and then if they want to connect they can yeah and who it's knew who simple. knew who knew the the technology of clubhouse would bring so much more love into people's lives oh, including mine absolutely man yeah. i can't tell so i've been on clubhouse for two months Mm. and it is amazing how in those two months how much has changed and evolved in my life and the people that I cross paths with and the trajectory in which I'm on including this podcast because two months ago I had no desire to do anything I was I was in the midst of writing my autobiography until I started suffering writer's blocks and I'm like what the hell I'm like I gotta get this book done as my therapist, she was like, Fee, you need to do this book. People need to hear your story. And so then mm-hmm. it just so happened that I heard about this clubhouse thing. And you know how it is. It's like you have to get invited to the party. And I'm like, shit, I'm mm-hmm. like, I haven't gotten invited to the party. I guess I'm not cool yet. Well, then I got invited <laughs> to the party and I'm like, oh, let me put my party dress on. And it's amazing how I've connected with so many people from all over the globe. I was just in the room yesterday. Uh, it was a Scottish room. At uh, Rainbow Warrior, he was in, and he comes into the men's mental health room. And it was so beautiful. I was just sitting listening. And I was listening to every all those, these all these Scots, and they were talking about things that matter. How They were talking about how we need to just treat every single person with kindness and stop with the racism and the bigotry and, and stop you know shaming people because of their lifestyles and this and that and the other. And I was like, wow. That's, Mm. that's so beautiful to me. And I walked away from listening, just listening. I did not contribute. I had my hand raised because I was so excited Mm -hmm. that, you know, since I really didn't know a lot about who I was when I was growing up, you know, I went on this, this journey of, you know, trying to figure out who am I from an ethnic standpoint, because I knew that there's a lot of different mixtures in there. And I was so excited to, to see in my ethnic DNA that I'm also part Scottish. And so I was all excited because I wanted to go in the room and go, I'm part Scottish, yay. But the universe was like, no, I want you to listen. 
And so by listening, I was hearing all of these beautiful stories and people that are coming together. And I'm like, I, I wanted to just like go outside and yell because it was great. And it's amazing mm. how with technology, how you connect with so many people from all walks of life. And that just goes to show you beyond the color of our skin or the texture of our hair, or the color of our eyes, we're all human beings. We all want to feel loved, supported. We want to feel like people care. We want to talk about things that matter. You know, some people want to talk about shallow things, but we'll put them in the corner. Um, <laughs> but we want to talk about and, and, and be about changes that is very much needed. And that's, yeah. you know, that's the reason why I'm on this crusade about talking about mental health and my mental health struggles, because people need to be talking about this regularly. People yeah. need to feel like I'm okay to say I have a therapist. Shit. I'm telling everybody. I'm like, yep, I got a therapist. It was funny. So I went to our local farmer's market yesterday with my, my best mate who lives across the street from me mm -hmm. and her daughter, she accompanied us. And so we were all excited going to this farmer's market and I heard somebody call me. I'm like, who the hell would know me? Cause I, I, yes, I know a lot of people, but I don't. It just so happened that it was my therapist. And so I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So I walked up to her and gave her a big hug. And so I, I brought, I had my, my mate and her daughter come over and I said, let me get, let guys, let me introduce you to my therapist. This is Diane. And I just remember how, how comfortable and relaxing it felt for me to say that. Mm. And I wasn't ashamed. Mm. And so that's, as we continue to have these conversations, I want people listening out there to not feel ashamed to be who you are, be your authentic self. And the people that you need to be surrounded by, they will find you. Or you can seek them out, but more importantly, they will find you. So you you continue to stand firm in who you are and the space that you're in and stand true to who you are because your tribe will find you. I promise you this because I'm finding my tribe all the time. And it empowers me that much more. And so um, as we close out our session... I, I just, I tell my listeners all the time, the importance of self-love and self-care. It's the best kind of love and care you can give yourself. And before you can, cause you can't pour from an empty cup and you can't be your best self for others out there. So mm. always remember, celebrate the small wins, take time out for yourself. And remember that, you know, it, just when you think you're out there all by yourself, you're not. And hmm. all you have to do is just speak up and you'll realize wow. just how big of a tribe that you have out there in the world. And if I could just add to that, my last words are you are not alone and you never were and you need never be again. Perfect words to end by. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you, my beloved, for coming here and sharing your story and just giving me something more than I even expected to receive. So I love you for that. And my pleasure. Thank you, Faye. Thanks again. Um, so thanks again, guys, for listening in to The Healing Place. I am your host, Fee. Tune in for the next episode as we close out. Take care. <laughs>